Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 26. My guest today is Max Berman. Max is the co-founder of Kitbash 3D, a company named the top 10 most innovative companies in video gaming. But before he started this, he spent over a decade in the film and game industry as an art director and matte painter, working on such films as Godzilla and Iron Man 3. Here we go. Hey, Max. Hey, Mark. How you doing? I'm excellent, thanks. How are you today? I'm doing great. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the Pure Now Show. Really appreciate your time today and really excited to talk to you about your career and all that goes along with that. Of course, yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, you look very young and I see that you started your career at 18. So I, I can't even imagine that this body of work that you've created all fit in <laughs> to between 18 and wherever you are now. Yeah, I'm a lot older in VFX years. Well, you've done a really good job of making yourself look very young through whatever uh, software you're manipulating right now. <laughs> Thanks. Let's talk about how this whole thing started. Obviously, at some point very early on in your youth, you were inspired by some event or something that puts you in line on this path, this creative journey towards being a matte painter and VFX artist. Can you tell me kind of where that all started, how you first got the inclination that this was something you wanted to uh, pursue? Sure, yeah. I think uh, a lot of people in this industry have that, that movie or that game that kind of pushed them over the edge for it. For me, it was The Matrix. I saw The Matrix when I was a kid and just thought, oh my God, what is this? Uh, this is what I want to do. I want to make whatever worlds they're making and then started to learn like, oh, this is CGI and visual effects and started to dive more and more into that world. And throughout my teenage years, I was playing on Photoshop and doing design challenges online and different forums and kind of competing in design battles. And then uh, my parents found the school Nomen and that just opened my eyes even more of like, uh, there's a, a lot of other people who are really interested in this stuff too. So I started taking Nomen classes at night and interning at different studios during the day and kind of got my first job and never looked back. You apprenticed with Sid Dutton. So how did you end up with the opportunity to work with Sid, one of the, the godfathers of matte painting? How did that opportunity present itself and how did you take that experience and move your career forward? Yeah, I got really lucky with that. When I was 18, college wasn't for me. I knew that I didn't want to go to a four-year school. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in visual effects. So instead, I, I went down the phone book at the time and looked up every visual effects studio in LA. And I called every single studio and just offered to work for free. And the funny part about that is out of 200 studios, I'm going in alphabetical order, Zoic with a Z was the only one who said yes. It's the last number in the phone book. But they said yes, and they gave me an internship. I mean, I started interning there as much as I could get on a computer and paint. There weren't a lot of matte painters there, and that was something I was really interested in. So I got a lot of opportunity to work on shows during my internship and got hired on full-time pretty soon. And then while I was there, I was kind of the only matte painter there, and all of a sudden, Sid Dutton joins the studio as the, the matte painting supervisor to run the matte painting department there. And I think there was a little surprise when he came in and realized that I was the matte painting department. <laughs> 
and there wasn't anyone else here. But he was wonderful with that. He really took me under his wing as a true mentor and would give me art history lessons, would bring in old oil and glass map paintings, would show me old techniques. And it was a really special time to get to learn from him. Yeah, it sounds like he was kind of your creative surrogate father for a while. Definitely, I've been blessed to have a few of those in my career. Obviously this was your destiny. You've gone down this path. You've hit all the right things at the right time. So you're at Zoic, you've worked with Digital Domain and Sony, Imageworks, The Mill, all these top level high-end studios very early on in your career, which obviously set you up to be in business for yourself. Tell me how that played out for you after Zoic, where your journey started to continue on. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of moving for a couple of years. After Zoic, I went to Stargate Digital and met another amazing mentor, Cedric Tomacruz. At the same time, I was working for PlayStation, so I would do my days at Stargate and my nights at PlayStation. Went back to Zoic as a, a lead map painter about a year later. Got to start to manage teams and learn what that was about. I went to Sony Imageworks and tried out animation. It was on Hotel Transylvania and I, I wanted to see what the animation world was about. Did a bunch of commercials, NPC, The Mill, PSYOP, kind of jumping around those to see, hey, what's this commercial world? Digital Domain was one of my favorite studios and did a, a quite a few films with them, quite a few films with the NPC. So really just kind of jumping around and usually two to three jobs at a time just because I was so grateful to get to do it every day grateful that people were going to pay me to paint and so excited about the types of projects that I was able to work on that I wanted more and more and more. Is there creativity in your family, your mother or father, are they any way immersed in the creative world or you just kind of sprung out of this whatever, this inspiration? that you uh, got from the Matrix. No, I, uh, I joked that I was born into this, that if I had been a doctor or a lawyer, I would have been a disappointment to my family. <laughs> Both my parents are makeup effects artists in the film industry. Ah. My grandparents were artists on both sides. Uh, I come from a, a lineage of artists and grew up in the film industry. I think the difference for me was, you know, I was raised in the era of the computer. And so that was really my calling of how do we combine art and technology together and visual effects and video games are kind of the, the perfect place to join those two things. And since you did have that example of your parents who were really, you know, all about hands-on, how did they connect with you seeing that you had become this digital expert in what they'd been doing their whole lives in a more traditional way? That must have been kind of exciting for them to watch you develop as an artist and go into this whole new digital realm that they were not really too connected with. Yeah, I think, I mean, I have the most supportive parents in the world. And, you know, one of my favorite things is getting to celebrate their achievements and victories, growing up with them in the film industry, doing their different shows and projects, and now getting to bring my wins back home and, and celebrate, you know, these different milestones together. Yeah, that's super cool, man. You're going through all these stages of getting all this diversity and types of experiences from these different studios, then you decide, you want to do your own thing. What was that moment when you realized that you could do this on your own? Well, not on your own, but you could open your own studio and start handling clients yourself and taking that kind of responsibility on. Yeah, I think I always wanted to own my own studio. I just love the idea of the freedom that that brings, of being able to pick and choose the projects that you work on and be able to pick and choose the team that you get to work with every day. The timing happened to be good of, you know, unfortunately when I was at Digital Domain, they 
went through a, a really rough spot and the LA studio had closed down and it was about the time that every other major VFX studio in LA was closing. So me and everyone I know got shipped out. You know, we had to go to either London or Vancouver or Singapore and it was just take your pick, but you can't stay in LA. So I did some time in Vancouver and did a couple films up there and realized, you know, I'm, I'm working crazy hours on these films. I don't know anyone in this city. I'd much rather be in LA, open up my own shop and just handle some commercials or see if this might be an opportunity to, to at least get to work with my friends and the people I, I wanna be around. So I moved back to LA, opened Skyward Visual Effects, ran that for about a year and a half and realized, goddamn, owning a VFX studio is one of the hardest jobs you could have. Hats off to every studio owner who does it. It's a lot harder than it looks. And unfortunately, you know, we had to close our doors about a year and a half after. Did a ton of projects, projects I'm really proud of. Things like Game of Thrones and League of Legends and Super Bowl commercials and E3 cinematics. But um, we just couldn't figure out the business model for it. Well, let's talk about that because there's a lot of young people starting out now in the VFX world. You see on Instagram a lot of ads for people teaching matte painting. It's still a very viable industry, but things have changed in the whole idea of having kind of a, a brick and mortar studio versus having just a pure online presence. How did the timing of you starting your studio and you know, to the point of you closing your doors, what was that chain of events of getting all these amazing jobs in and then having to shut the whole thing down? Yeah, you know, I think the big thing was that I wasn't well-versed in business at that time. And, you know, I thought that the main part of owning a studio was just doing great work. And that's important, but that's table stakes when you're running a studio. You have to do great work to keep the doors open. Uh, but there's so much more to it. And it was a great lesson of all the things I didn't know that I didn't know. It really showed how much I had to learn about business and how running a studio is not about going and doing art every day. I learned that these industries work in very different ways. The whole game in commercials is agencies and the agencies have the studios that they work with day in and day out. And if you want to get in, you're going to do a lot of favors before you start to get a consistent flow of jobs. You're not going to make a lot of profit in the beginning and you're going to earn your keep. And that's something that requires you know, a lot more runway ramp up in order to embed yourself in. Game cinematics and TV series are, are a similar way. It's hard to get established and build those relationships. So, you know, I think we did great work, but at the end of the day, it wasn't about whether or not we could deliver great work. It was about how well were we actually able to build the connections to the clients that we needed and, uh, and run the business in a profitable way. And visual effects in general, very slim margins, which makes it even more dangerous. So what did you learn from that? How did you take this information that you gleaned from that experience and go to the next level of your professional career? Yeah, when we closed the studio doors, I had a couple offers on the table of going and joining as an art director at a few different studios, um, which was great. It was definitely a tough time and a sad time, but the big thing was making sure that everyone at our studio had a job waiting for them, that everyone landed safely at a studio that they were happy at, and anyone who wanted to come with me could. And I ended up working at a studio called Elastic as the art director over there. And that time, you know, I really spent the, last, the six months after we closed our doors just studying business, trying to figure out what happened really, and realizing like, hey, this is something I have to learn. So I read every book, took every class that I could. Luckily, there's a lot of amazing universities that put all their business classes online for free, and I just binged them and just really 
studied it to really understand it and say, this is the new craft that I have to learn and I have to dedicate myself to it the same way I've dedicated myself to map painting or art directing for the last decade. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Well, that's really valuable information because typically speaking, the creative individual, the artist, is really lacking in that professional side, the business knowledge, in order to maintain a career. There's so much responsibility with knowing how to not just get business, keep business, manage clients, keep the the monetary flow going. There's a lot of money going out as much as there is coming in. What were some of the key points that you learned about that you were able to leverage later on and have some success going forward? You know, I think one of the big things I learned was as creative people, we overvalue the product. I think that's a big one. A creative person will say that a great product is 80% of the, the battle. Someone in the marketing world might say that it's 20% of the battle. So there's a pretty big mismatch there. And by overvaluing the creative, we're undervaluing everything else that's around it. An example I like to use is the Livestrong bracelets, Lance Armstrong bracelets. Was that a great product? I don't know, not particularly. It was kind of a rubber band on your wrist. They sold millions of them, (laughs) millions of them, because of the branding, the messaging, what it meant, the way they were able to market it. And so you look at that and you say, hey, a, a not great product can be wildly successful and a great product can be not successful at all. And so I think that was a big lesson for me in you know, something that's so I'm so passionate about is the art, the creative, the product we create and starting to realize, hey, that might not be the whole equation here. There's a whole lot of other things that need to come together for that to be successful. And how did you take this information and then move forward? Because now you're more well-rounded as a creative business professional and you could leverage this information to get not only the response, from your clients, but you know, working with teams, you're kind of delegating and thinking differently about how you approach the process, deliver the goods, and have a, a business model that you can work with. What did that kind of look like once you took all this information in and kind of started again? Yeah, well, I left visual effects. <laughs> you know, that was step one. I love visual effects, but for me, I realized for what I'm looking to do, I needed to go explore the other side of this. Luckily, I had a a great friend who was kind of coming to the same point in his career. We had both been in Hollywood for a decade and realizing we're not really finding the creative freedom that we wanted in Hollywood. It's insane that you could work on these big projects and have continued success in your trade. And yet, you know, at the same time, you don't get to make the creative calls here. And that's something that we didn't want to do anymore. So we really came together and said, what if we started a company with the idea of how do we create without permission? How do we make the things we want to make without the client? So we started a publishing company. So the complete opposite end of the spectrum of focusing fully on marketing of how do we connect a product to the consumer and saying, if we can change how we build stuff, if we can own the product and the entire pipeline from the soil to the hands of the consumer, and this is now possible because digital distribution has changed, digital marketing has changed. So let's focus on digital marketing and distribution and PR and branding, and then we'll build our own products to put through that pipeline. Our first product, we made a video game with Nintendo that we published, and then during that process, we started Kitbash 3D. And Kitbash was an answer to a problem of, hey, we're not at a big studio anymore. 
it's really hard to get assets. And wait a second, like there's a bigger problem here, which is that studios aren't reusing their assets and even bigger, people around the world who are trying to use 3D, the starting point is way out of reach because they have to learn modeling and UVing and texturing and shading and all these steps. And so we focused on that problem and said, how do we solve this so that we can uh, enable and inspire other people to create the things that they want to create. And then taking that product and putting it through kind of our, our marketing and, and publishing pipeline. And that kind of coming together is what ended up being Kitbash 3D today. Well, let's talk about that because you did kind of abandon the whole, you know, VFX world. And it seems that you've been able to not just adapt, but change who you are, what you think about, how you respond to scenarios that are presented to you, which makes you very flexible and agile. And I know that's really important in this business is to be able to change your mind and go in different directions depending on the change of the creative atmosphere. And what is that company doing now? How are you providing services? I know that you're also enabling artists to learn more and empowering people with skills so they can go out in the world and have careers for themselves. Yes, I might have misspoken with abandoning, maybe found a different way to be involved in visual effects and games. And looking outside of the studio world and looking a little wider and saying, how do we change how this stuff is done? How do we change the process of how visual effects and video games are created? And how do we open the doors to more people being able to do that? So today, yeah, Kipesh is five years old. Last week or two weeks ago, we were named Fast Company's Most Innovative Companies in Video Games. And we're growing so that we can do more and more of, of this, which is get more people more easily able to create without permission. And I would imagine technology plays a big part in this and uh, is making it easier for you to reach others and for others to get this information and start their careers. Uh, and without the technology would be almost impossible. So I, I would imagine the technological platform that you're using is really powerful and all kinds of people up and down the scale can reap the benefits of it. Completely, I mean, we are a technology company at our core and we're a community. And I think those are the two things coming together to allow us to do this. Our community is in 180 countries right now, and it's everywhere from the top visual effects or even the top film and game studios like Disney or Netflix or Universal or Fox or Warner Brothers, all the way to the 19-year-old on their laptop who's downloading Blender or Unreal for the first time saying, I want to try this. And they're all able to use the same technology, the same assets same content. So how does it work exactly? Give me an idea of what the structure is, how you are finding people, how people are finding you, and what the steps are that people are taking in order to find success for themselves. Kipesh3d.com is where everything lives. We have very active Discord channels, Instagram, social, all of that. That's really where our community lives. We do contests, great prizes, give away free kits and assets so that you have the building blocks to start to make something on your own and a community to share it with who's a really positive and nurturing community in terms of always giving feedback or helping with maybe the, the roadblocks along the way as you're kind of learning this. Uh, we put out tutorials and interviews and videos on YouTube. We release new kits and new assets every month on our website. So, you know, for us, it's about how many different places can we connect with our community? Can we bring products to them that 
make it easier to create. So essentially you're building a community of artists and you're empowering them with tools, which is incredible. And what has been the response from the creative community to what it is that you offer and also from the client side of this? Yeah, well, on the client side, luckily with Kitbash, we don't have clients. We have customers. We have great customers. You know, in terms of response, I think we've, we've built a raving community here because they love what we're doing. And they're inspiring what we do every day. It's very cyclical in that nature. In terms of testimonials or projects, I think the, the projects that are using Kitbash are our testimonial of if it's good enough for Last of Us and you can get the same thing, that's really what we're trying to hit constantly. If Marvel uses it and 2K Games or EA, if they're using it, that means that we've hit the quality bar that we were looking for. And then how do we get it in your hands as an individual so that you have access to those same tools? Let's talk about how the industry has changed because now everything is pretty much online. Sure, there's still brick and mortar shops, but really things are in the midst of a significant change in how work is produced, how it's delivered, how it's created. How has this affected the industry itself and then individuals who are coming into the industry who want to be a part of this kind of explosion of technology that is maybe leveling the playing field a little bit and giving more people opportunity to participate. Yeah, what a lucky time we live in to be at this inflection point of virtual worlds. Visual effects is changing in itself. Virtual production is becoming a new industry. Video games have exploded continuously for the last 10 years, but now we're seeing them move outside of just, uh, hey, this is some competitive game. Hey, this is what concerts in the future look like. This is what experiences in general look like. And so, you know, the, the quote unquote metaverse that we're getting closer to is starting to become something we can see as a reality. And, you know, individuals around the world are getting more and more abilities to gain resources for their skills. Being able to work remotely for different studios is amazing. That opens the world up, it opens the talent pool up. But also indie games, indie movies, NFTs, different ways that creative people are able to monetize their trade. It just means that more people can come into this and that there's more of a, a viable livelihood here. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. And because there's a saturation point, there's so many people, it maybe drives down some of the quality, drives down how much they're getting paid for their work. What has this explosion of technology done to the industry as just like a standard? Because if somebody from anywhere can learn how to do this, and now there's so many more people doing this kind of work, how has that changed the industry? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about video games is we video games can look at film as like a couple generations ahead of it in terms of an industry and film can look at music as a even older industry and they're all following patterns anyone can make music today and anyone can put it on spotify and what has that done for music well on one side of it maybe the most famous people aren't as famous but on the other side of it, maybe the people who previously would never have found an audience can find enough of an audience to have a livelihood. So I think it kind of flattens out. 
Content-wise, I don't think anyone today would tell you that there's enough content to fill their hunger or their thirst. But what it's becoming is more niche content. Maybe I watch a YouTube channel on how car engines are built, and there's no way that there would be a, a television show or a network that was based on that niche of a, of a engineering step-by-step -step deconstructing engines. But hey, you know what? There's enough people that that channel can sustain today. So I think that's what we're seeing more and more, or at least what I'm seeing more and more is niches can exist. They can find enough of an audience to sustain. But if you want to stand out, you have a lot harder of a time to stand out. You got to do something really special. And that may not necessarily be the quality of the visual content because it's more, I guess, of the subject matter and how that's presented because we're used to, just like going from vinyl records to MP3s, you know, there's a degradation of quality. We don't even, we're not even aware of it anymore because all this innovation and technology has kind of maybe desensitized us to being able to recognize or even care so much about certain levels of quality because we're watching cat videos and all these things that are more about the actual content than the quality of the content. There's so much information out there. There's so much content and not everybody's using super high-end equipment. It's more about the story, the narrative. It's more about the content itself versus the quality of the content. How has that played a role in your business whereby you're really, you know, you're still producing the super high-end content, visual effects and all these things for motion picture and television and whatnot. How has that kind of uh, scaled how we perceive the content and what's being created these days? A big difference, I get to be a little bit on the sidelines of some of this because we don't produce the content for films. We produce the tools to help other people make the content, which is just a different positioning. But when I look at the people who are making content today, it kind of goes back to that idea of don't overvalue the product because one of the most important things is gonna be, can you find your audience? Can you connect the thing that you make to the audience that's going to love it? And, and that becomes the differentiator here. In a world of noise, it's can you get your song to the person who's gonna love it? Right. And that's really it too. It's more about the quality of the content itself and how that appeals to the viewer or listener versus the big bang buck theory of big productions and uh, lots of money spent on these productions and all that it entails. Everybody's an artist now. Not that anybody potentially couldn't be an artist before, but the tools are available that were never available before that people can leverage on the fly. How has that empowered you and people that come to you to potentially start a career that maybe never would have occurred to them before? First of all, I think it's a great thing when everyone feels empowered to express their creativity. And everyone can be an artist if they want to be an artist. And giving them the, the tools and the ability to do that, that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, there is the like fear of, hey, there's not enough to go around, so let's block everyone from coming in here. That's an irrational fear here. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty of new voices who can create content that will appeal to a new audience who doesn't know that they want to hear that voice. So I think that that's an amazing thing. And I think there's always that world of, well, if anyone can create it, is, is anyone gonna do big projects anymore? Everyone was afraid that television was going to kill the film industry. Well, film and TV have coexisted for a long time. 
is that same way of like, oh, will YouTube kill blockbuster films? No. YouTube's huge and we're still getting movies like Dune. So I think that there's always gonna be an audience for both. So now you have this whole new business model that you're working with. It's working well. How is new technology going to impact what you're doing? Are you introducing things as they come along? What is your place? What is your role in continuing to develop what you have going on now? Where we see our role, I think, is I look at the internet, and the internet is only possible because anyone can build a website, and we can connect them all together. And that's what made the internet hit a critical mass. And we look at the same thing with the 3D internet, or the metaverse, or the digital twin, or whatever anyone wants to call it. And we really do believe that, like, hey, this is possible, but it's not inevitable. And for us to make that happen, Anyone needs to be able to create a 3D experience without any prior knowledge and share it with a friend. And we need to be able to connect those things together. And so what our role in that, trying to push that ball forward, is how do we solve the problem of the blank page? How do we give people all of the building blocks they need to be able to create those 3D experiences easily? And that has a whole host of technical challenges that we have to solve. We're really focused on you know, one part of this challenge. So we're always developing new tools. We're always trying to, to push the boundaries of this. We're always fighting for interoperability and software agnosticism, which means that whatever we build has to work everywhere for everyone. So when someone changes something, we have to be the first one to implement. And that's really for us, how technology is constantly moving us forward. And do you think this whole thing is going to become essentially open source where we're all sharing and anybody who's interested can create a professional life for themselves and sustain themselves? Is this kind of where things are going that it's just gonna be kind of a free for all? And how does that look from a customer side or a client side that's looking for talent? It seems like it's getting bigger and bigger, but are there more opportunities for people to leverage this kind of aptitude and experience to be able to make a living. How's that gonna play out, do you see? I mean, I believe if the internet does do this and become a 3D space, we're gonna see more needs for this skill set between art and technology than we've ever seen before. You think of how many graphic designers there were before the web and how many there are afterwards and how much more work there is for graphic design afterwards. You can imagine the same sort of thing for 3D, for concept art, for art direction, for the skill set that is inherently built into visual effects and video games. It's just now maybe that's not just a form of entertainment. Maybe that's a form of e-commerce. Maybe that's a form of social media. I think there's a lot of other applications that can be brought into this 3D space. What do you think some of the biggest challenges are now and that you foresee going forward that you can be part of the solution in either streamlining or creating more opportunity for others to be involved with it? Yeah, I mean, the, the big challenge we're trying to solve is really the learning curve for 3D is a big part of it. You know, there's one thing of the learning curve is brought down, that's kind of enabling people to do this stuff. But also you need to want to do this stuff. That's where the inspire comes in. How do we get people interested in making this stuff? And then how do we make it just fun to actually do? How do we remove the things that creative people don't enjoy doing so that they can focus on the stuff they do enjoy doing? And so those are kind of 
the, the main challenges and kind of right next to that is interoperability. It's about being able to build something once and use it over and over and over again. Similar to SpaceX of, we're not going to get to Mars if you can't reuse a rocket. Well, we're not going to get to the metaverse if you can't reuse an asset. So are we getting smarter in that way whereby we can create these assets, leverage them more over longer periods of time, get mileage out of them, so to speak, and not keep reinventing the wheel? Kitbash is. In terms of libraries out there, I can't speak for anyone else's library, but us, you know, we can update 10,000 assets in one hour and have all of them changed to a whole new format, which is crazy. That's something that never existed before, which means, hey, if, you know, a new platform comes up, if AR takes off and ends up being where everyone's spending their time in AR, well, and hit a button and have everything we've ever built now AR ready. And I think that's the kind of manipulation that we need to be able to do with, with the work we're creating in order to future-proof it and to make sure that when we build something today in five years, we can still use it. This is becoming at some point a passe subject, but I still think it's relevant. How did COVID affect your business and you personally over the past couple of years? Yeah, you know, I think COVID's been hard on everyone in the world. I think everyone in the world dealt with different levels of isolation, struggling to find joy in a lot of ways. I think with Kitbash, we were really lucky. Our team is is really tight-knit. You know, we were a remote first company before COVID. We had an office in LA, but most of our company was remote. And actually, I think COVID drove us to be the opposite, where now we have our office in Portland that's just packed full because everyone wants to be in the office again. But I think COVID gave us a, a couple things. When COVID first started, it was the first month ever in our history that we lost money, which has never happened before. And it's just because there was so much fear of just like everyone stop everything. And that was a really scary moment. And it really tested us of like, okay, well, what are we gonna do here? And as we were losing money, we said, you know what? Let's give a Utopia kit out for free. Let's just give it to everyone who wants it and ask them, can you create positive and uplifting imagery and share it on social? Because there's gonna be so much negativity happening right now. As artists, we have a responsibility to help people during these times with the images we can create. I think that brought our community together around a common cause and it feels good to do good. So. I think using our talents and our skills to be able to just share positive things during that time was great. I think it also gave our team a chance to focus. We said, hey, you know, how do we look back at this time and say a lot of good came out of it? And I think when we run into tough times, that's the big thing is, is to say, okay, this might be a tough time here, but, but what do we need to do today so that in a year or two years, we look back and say, you know what? We got the gold in this. And I think we really did that. We focused in on how do we improve? How do we double down on life balance? Because there's no barriers anymore. So we need to be even stricter with when we can work and more importantly, when we can't work. Found more life balance in that sense. And during our work hours, we were able to say, hey, we're here, let's focus. There's nothing else we can distract ourselves with. You know, let's take on a couple projects that we really want to use this focused time for. So that's exciting now to be on the other side of it and have these projects about to cross the finish line and release into the world and go, this is what we used our time for. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Well, it's interesting because you just essentially brought up quality of life issues. And I think that's really critical that there is a healthy balance 
between what you do to generate revenue and sustain yourself versus recreation and you know just having your other part of your life. Not that anything is separate, it's all together in some way. How have you personally gone from being a studio guy, working ridiculous hours, then kind of scrapping that, doing your own thing, still working ridiculous hours, closing those doors, where you're at now, how is your time spent and how do you feel about your quality of life and, and what you've created for yourself? We had an interesting challenge with Kitbash because we kind of knew from the get-go that we wanted to work on this digital internet and we were starting our company 10 years before the industry existed. And so it's a, a very different mindset where we don't have clients who control our schedules, we control our schedules. And what we really need to do is make sure that in 10 years we want to still do this. And so burnout is not an option for us. It's not an option for anyone on our team. And one of the challenges there is if you have a team of high performers, which the Kipash team, everyone there is really driven, they're passionate, they're very high performers. They have no problem working long hours. They have no problem stressing themselves. They have a big challenge when it comes to taking time to rest. That's where the struggle comes in. And I know that personally for myself, but I could put down the hours, no problem. It's a lot harder to walk away at six o'clock and say, oh, I'm done for the day. I'll pick it up in the morning. That's a tough thing that requires a lot of practice. So for us, we put rules in place for it. I'm not gonna tell you when to work. You're gonna work as much as you possibly can. We're gonna tell you when you're not allowed to work and we're gonna enforce it and we're gonna practice it as an example. From the top down, every person here, no department head or manager here is gonna work on a weekend. They're not allowed to because if they do, it makes it seem like an expectation for everyone else. So we police the non-working hours. And because of that, you know, a lot of people on our team on Friday, they're like, oh my God, so much happened in this compressed amount of time, but they all slept. They all had full lives in before and after work. And when the weekend comes, they're not allowed to touch it. And on Monday, you're excited to get back in and do it. I don't want your 12th or 13th or 14th hour here. That's diminishing returns. I want Monday morning at 10 a.m. to be like a horse when the gates open and just be so excited to get back in. And luckily we've been able to maintain that and keep that for five years and looking to do that for another five. Well, that sounds like a very thoughtful culture and unusual even because in times where people are trying to get as much work out of people as possible to the point of people jumping out of windows, it's a good story to hear that you are, again, thoughtful and you care about the lives of people, the quality of their lives, and you obviously will get a lot more out of them having that consciousness around personal schedules and professional schedules. How has that played out for you? What do you see as a result from the people that work with you? And thank you. I think the big thing for us, we wanted to build a studio that we wanted to work for. At the end of the day, that's what we're doing because it doesn't matter how much success we have or what projects are using Kipash if People are leaving the company being like, man, it sucked to work there. And I've worked at more than a few studios where I walked away feeling that way. And God, that's the last thing I want with a company that I put my heart and soul into is for anyone to walk away feeling that way. So just as important, if not more of, of the things we build and the community we build is the team we build and how they feel about the company they're a part of. And as a result of that, people stay at Kipash. They're not looking for other work. 
we have great talent and our team is growing consistently. People want to work here. They want to leave AAA studios to come work here. You know, because we're doing cool work, we're doing exciting stuff, we're having a big impact, but also because they know that they're going to be really valued here. You know, not only be trusted to do what they do best, but also we're going to make sure that they live a full life. Yeah, and that seems like an answer to attrition. You've created a culture where people feel comfortable. They want to be participants. They want to stay. They're not always looking on the outside to see what's next, which I think leads into advice that you would give to people who are coming up in the business, who are considering this industry. Based on all your years of experience, all the ups and downs that you had to go through, what would be kind of a utopic path that you might recommend that maybe some people can avoid some of the unnecessary pain and suffering that you went through and navigate getting through the obstacles to get to a place of success, maybe a little quicker, again, with less pain and suffering. Yeah, less pain and suffering is definitely the key. You know, I think that's the, actually it's, it's the key to it all. Don't do the pain and suffering. The truth is there's no finish line where you're gonna feel successful. If you don't feel successful today, you're not gonna feel it in a year. You're not gonna feel it if you get an award and you're not gonna feel it if you make a certain amount of money. If you don't feel it today, you'll never feel it. That's just the truth of it. And if you're not happy with what you're doing today, it's not like, hey, when I get that promotion or I get that raise or I get that project, I'm gonna be any happier than I am today. Those things do not bring happiness. They don't. And you could spend a decade chasing those things, thinking that they are going to bring you happiness, which is unfortunately what I spent, or fortunately what I spent a decade of my life doing. Or you can kind of realize it, which I realized after I had gotten the accolades that I was chasing, after I had gotten the paychecks I was chasing, the titles, the projects, all of that, realized afterwards, none of those things are actually gonna do it. It's about waking up in the morning excited about what you get to do that day, pacing yourself so that you don't burn out and leaving at a reasonable hour and doing something else that you also enjoy so you have something to mix it up. Be with other people, with friends and family, do things that make you happy every day and feel successful every day that you get to make that choice. That would be my advice. Realize that there is no finish line here and you know, make the decision to, to feel successful and happy on the journey. And if you don't, the, nothing's gonna change that. Yeah, clearly it's not about the future. It's being present and being good with what you have now and just enjoying whatever the path, the journey is. It's very sound advice. Tell me a bit about Learn Squared. Yeah, Learn Squared really opened my eyes to this whole art community. Luckily, Ash Thorpe and I were chatting about you know his new school when he launched it and asked if I would do a map painting class, and I did. And, and it was kind of the first time I had taught or mentored other people. And then I went on a little speaking tour afterwards, and all of a sudden, all these artists in different countries knew me as if they had known me for years, and I'd never met them before. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. You know, I have this instant connection with all these people because I felt like a friend. I was in their ear while they were learning something, right? And it was a really cool instant connection which really opened me up to get to learn more and more of these different art communities in all totally different cities and countries that I had never been to. And I think that was kind of the first inkling of, hey, it feels really good to help other artists on their journey. 
It actually feels better than me doing a big project. It feels better when I see someone that I, I maybe had some hand in their career. When I see them do a big project, I feel so much more satisfaction. You know, Learn Square has just been an amazing experience of learning how to give back to the community. I don't know if we would have been able to start Kitbash had I not gotten that little taste of that with Learn Squared. You're obviously doing what you love, become a facilitator to help other people discover what they love and how to help sustain themselves. If you could not do any of this that you're doing now, what would you want to be doing? I mean, anything. What's on your mind as far as the dream life going forward? My joke of this is like, any advice for an 18 year old is go study like wine and horticulture or something in college, you know? If you go study the wine industry, you're gonna live in the most beautiful places, being surrounded by amazing food and drinks at all times. But honestly, that would drive me nuts. I can't stay still. I'm like a hummingbird almost. Always need to be in motion. It'd be really hard to not do what I do now. It's just happened to make a job for myself that fits perfectly with my personality and my energy and what I need for fulfillment and for connection and all of these other things. I absolutely love business. I love getting to serve the creative community. It's a group of people who I deeply love. So getting to help them do what they do is so fulfilling. If I wasn't able to do all this, oh God, I, I think at that point I'd just, you know, have to retire and go sit on a beach somewhere. So what do you do with your free time? I mean, it's all your free time, but what do you do for fun, recreation, aside from, you know, the business thing? Yeah, I have an amazing partner at home who I love spending time with. We love cooking. We have a, a silly dog that I love playing with. I just moved to Portland about a year ago. We opened our office here and exploring a new city, new restaurants, new bars, lots of friends up here who I just like spending time with. So I think the big thing is getting time with friends and family. And when I need some recharge time, it's just pick up an Xbox controller and get a couple hours of just mindless, go shoot some things. Well, Max, it's been really great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you sharing all your stories and your advice, your adventures. And I wanna thank you for supporting the creative community giving people opportunities that they would not necessarily have available to them so they too could find the passion that you have found in the work that you do. Oh, well, thank you, Mark. And thank you for doing a show that spotlights amazing creative people and inspires this community as well. So it's my pleasure to be on here. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.